Why, hey guys, welcome to another episode. So, excited to bring you guys this episode. I, I've been sitting on some episodes, but I wanted to get this guest on. Because uh, I like, I think he brings a lot to the table. So I was excited to uh, bring him to the table for you. I don't think that made sense at all, but we're going to run with it. I uh, was recently told by some listeners that they like me being stupid early on. Well, that's what I call it, but it's really just me talking to myself. And that's what happens, guys. When I start talking to myself, who knows what's going to happen? I don't. I mean, it's it's a very strange thing. I mean, I just sit here and I talk. And uh, I just think, man, I, I wouldn't want to listen to that. But who knows? Maybe you do want to listen to that. So um, today's guest is Kevin Geary. So Kevin Michael Geary. So um, I'm an affiliate. So we do have an affiliate ship for his rebooted body. And he actually just started a new program, Six Figure Grind, which if you want, there will be a link for that in the show notes. And actually, his very first episode is actually very similar to the stuff we talked to. I feel like I was responsible for that. Maybe it's because I just want to inflate my ego. But uh, yeah, basically, I, I've known Kevin a lot. He's helped me out a lot with uh, just some things with the internet business that I'm not too, too good with. I'm pretty good at face-to-face -face sales. And I'm not very good with internet sales. Not yet, at least. And, uh, so Kevin's helped me out just with different ideas and, uh, I think he really gets it for having a, a lifestyle business. Um, it's a big deal to me. I mean, that's why I'm farming. I mean, I, I'm not farming and there's a time guys were like, um, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation was with Kevin was because I, I was kind of feeling like I just, you know, sometimes it's easy to get lost and forget why I'm doing this. And it's like, you know, dude, if you want to be miserable, you could go get a job. And that's not what I'm doing this. Like, I, I'm doing this to have fun. And if this stops being fun, it's I'm just going to stop doing it. That's kind of how it is. I mean, this is my life. So, and I recommend you guys do the same thing. I mean, if whatever you're doing, if you can afford to, I mean, you know, Kevin makes a good point on this show saying if you have fuck you money and you don't use it or a fuck you lifestyle and you don't use it, then what's the point? So, um, yeah, sorry, guys. Already already saying bad words in the first 10 minutes. Sorry about that. Uh, everybody who listens and says, man, I wish I you wouldn't cuss so much so I could play you for my kids. Sorry, guys. Just happens. Anyways, so with that being said, let's get into the affiliates. Um Guess what? So naturesimagefarm.com, uh, there's nothing there. Sold out. Um, do have a buzzcast coming out really soon after this. So spent the day with Mr. Greg Burns. Actually going to go out there tomorrow and hang out with him as well. Looking forward to that. I'm going to see Senior as well. Big shout out to Senior. He's a listener of the show. And uh, the small cell bees, man. It's uh, Small scale, small cell bees are exciting stuff, especially his bees. We get in with those bees and we don't even wear suits. I haven't been stung yet. Uh, I was kind of creeped out for the first time being around bees then because it kind of hit me like, God, if these things really wanted to mess me up, they could. I don't have a suit on at all. But I'm smart. That's why I don't wear a suit. And uh, so, yeah, so, uh, but I'll keep you posted. Just I just like shouting out Greg because he's been a big influence on the show. And, of course, as you know, that great intro music's from Greg Burns. So check that out. Um, if you guys are still interested, also not really an affiliate. I don't make any money for you guys doing these free courses, but I really like the work Grant Schultz does, so I shout him out every single episode. I think he appreciates it. 
You can always shoot me a message, Grant, if you appreciate it. I, you don't really have to. I'm just really talking. And when I talk, I say silly things sometimes. So if you do listen to this, Grant, um, you don't have to send me a message. But feel free to if you want to. Um, so he still has the paw, paw course for free. Go to versalian.tv. Uh, he has some other courses, too, that you guys can sign up for. Um, Grant's always at, he's always sharpening the saw. So I think that's a good way to put it. He's always trying to figure out a way to, to be better at what he's doing. It's, uh, you know, I think everybody is, especially every, all you guys that message me, you guys all are too. I mean, there's so many people I could shout out. So, um, yeah, uh, I know I just focused on a few individuals, but lots of people I could shout out. Um, Hmm. What's else? Uh, what's else? Making up words now. Uh, and then you know, last but not least, with these affiliates, check out profitableurbanfarming.com. Um, I'm a big fan of the course, man. Curtis Stone's always doing good stuff. Another guy that's always putting out good content, trying to figure out a way to make things work and make things better. Um, big inspiration for me. Um helped change the course of this podcast man if, if i when i think about it so anyway shout out to curtis stone if you guys are interested in the course i highly recommend it um you get you can save a hundred dollars if you click on the link in the show notes um or you can also um just sign up for the payment plan that's what i did so you can do four four monthly installments and uh so that's cool stuff as well and then Finally, with affiliates, this podcast is brought to you by audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour. I'm pretty sure that's what the website is. If not, you can click on the link in the show notes. So I've been going through some books right now. I am reading White Red or Black Rednecks, White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. So I, I went down the rabbit hole of Thomas Sowell and a lot of people. It's pretty interesting when you think about authors or just people that just the way kind of like we view i just i don't want to say we because i don't really have this opinion but there's an idea and i hear a lot of people say it uh you know like if you speak out against black culture and you're black you're immediately called like a race traitor and stuff like that so thomas soul i think he's he's almost 90 so he has some really interesting ideas about culture and just the history of culture so especially as as you all know that I like to, uh, I've been really trying to get into my hillbilly Appalachian roots. Um, he covers it quite a bit in that book. So it's it's been a great read. So I've been listening to that book. Um, so definitely check that out. I'm trying to think of the book I read before that. There's Mindset. And then also The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That's a good book as well. Um, so those are, those are three books you guys can check out. And uh, yeah. And then finally, if you guys want to support the show and you don't want to, you know, um, do any of that, you know, get any of the affiliates and you still want to support the show, um, you can, uh, you can go, you can become a patron. So I have a big shout out to Rick Broderson. I don't actually, Rick, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I think it's Broderson or Broderson. He's going to be on the show here soon, but he, he just became a patron and also Nick Stuckschulte, man. So big shout out to those two guys. Um, I have a podcast coming out with Nick. Um, Nick's a cool guy. Uh, he's been a supporter of the show. I met him at PV3. I actually also met Rick and Nick. Rick and Nick. Met them both at PV3. Um, so big shout out to Diego Footer, too, for 
putting that event on so I can meet a lot of you guys that started listening to the show. Um, or, and the ones that didn't, I mean, that's how I, that's how people knew who I was and knew that I wasn't a weird, total weirdo to talk to. So with that being said, guys, we're at right about eight minutes. So, uh, I hope you guys like that show, man. Uh, excited to bring Kevin Geary to you. Um, check out the links for all Kevin's work in the show notes. He talks about it. So six figure grind is his new six figure grind.com is his new project. Then there's rebooted body. If you want to check out all the other work that Kevin does, go to KevinMichaelGeary.com. Um, Kevin, man, he's an inspiring guy, man. And he uh, he's put a lot of work into to researching fitness and uh, how to, I mean, really just what the, the right things to do. But we, we talk about that stuff a little bit, but mainly we talk about lifestyle businesses and really kind of set him up for his, his, uh, his new website um and facebook group six figure grind so which all, where it's all about like kind of helping you get the skills to have a good lifestyle business because to to me and i think a lot of people that listen like if you don't own your your own business or you're not calling your own shots like you're missing out on a lot of freedom and as you guys know like freedom is uh everything to me like i don't i think it's kind of the basis of the way i live my life so and what what do, what is free for me and what's not Another book, it's not an audible, but you know, how to how to live free in an unfree world by Harry Brown. Another good book to check out. So with that being said, guys, just under 10 minutes. I hope you guys enjoy the show. So, welcome back to the show. I guess it's really your first time on because the, the first time we did it was with uh, Tom Domres. Yes. But um, yeah, man, it's good to have you on. For for people that don't know, um, we are in a secret group together where we conspire to take over the world. And uh, what's that? That is true. And uh, you helped me out a ton, man. And so I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful for for you coming on here and and for our friendship. Um, cause you're quite a ways ahead of me for where in the entrepreneurship level where I'd like to get to, not that it's a contest, but you've been playing the game longer, I think. And I've, I don't know. It was interesting. I heard you talk about, um, you know, one time we were on a call about, you know, you like, you know, it all depends on what level of the game you want to play. Cause everything's a game. And I've been listening to, uh, have you listened to Sapiens yet? I haven't. Or, I don't know. Okay, so that it's kind of like what they talk about in the book Sapiens is that like everything that we do is is Sapiens is like a a lot of it was of what we do is are like creations that we've made and that we all believe are true, but nothing's really true. It's it's really all a game, whether it be um, just different things. I mean, I'm probably butchering it, but there's just different things. So I, I like being now that I'm on the hustle and entrepreneurship, as as you know, like. I'm just thinking about like what level of this game do I really want to play? Like, and it's not that like I don't want to play, but it's like there's certain things that like what level of hustle do I want to work harder or smarter? And so I always think about you know that conversation that we all had, which was you know what level level of the game, and then I keep thinking about the Mexican fisherman. So, anyways, segueing in for people that don't know what the Mexican fisherman is, uh, just Google it, and it's it's a good story, but. 
Okay, guys, so that was a total jerk store move to say, Google it. What a jerk I am. So we're going to read the Mexican fisherman real quick because it's a short story. So this is the parable of a Mexican fisherman. So um, it's originally called the Mexican fisherman and the investment banker. banker. So here we go, guys. I'm going to read it to you. So you all know I don't read good. So an American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't he stay out longer to catch more fish? The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife, Maria, and stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I have an MBA from Harvard and can help you, he said. You should spend more time fishing with the pros and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats, and eventually you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You could control the product, processing, and distribution, he said. Of course, you would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then Los Angeles, and eventually to New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise, the Mexican fisherman asked. But how long will this all? How long will this all take? How long will this all take? See, you guys, I don't know how to read. To which the American replied, "Oh, fifteen to twenty years or so." But what then? Asked the Mexican. American laughed and said, "That's the best part. When the time was right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to a public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions. Then what?" American said, then you could retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you could sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, and stroll into the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. Is that quick, guys? I could have read it right on the podcast, but I didn't. Oh, I just did. Also, there's a quick uh, weird audio blurb where there's like, I kind of have like a robot voice, so excuse that. Mr. Kevin Geary, you you are the owner of Rebooted Body. Of Re it's Revolution Parenting too. Is that the other one? Yeah, yeah, that one's. Um, I, I'm kind of done with that one. I'm leaving it up, but yeah, I produced a bunch of content there. I produced a course there, and um, I'm just letting it be. Uh, I had a podcast too, but just letting it do its thing, and I'm focusing on other stuff right now. Yeah, and and mainly too, man. I think what I like is you're like the the family man version of uh, Gary V, I like to say, just because like you're so sharp in the in in the business world and everything. But what I kind of want to know is because I, I was saying before we started recording, I've never heard your story. So what did you do like before Rebooted Body and and everything? And it sounds like you know the the food thing kind of changed you. But I know so you were in Taekwondo or like what? What's kind of like your whole backstory, Kevin? Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, and when I was man, probably like 10 or 11, I started training in Taekwondo, Olympic Taekwondo. And I knew once I got into that, that that was going to be uh, like the thing that I was going to try to do. I was going to try to own a school. And 
I did some other entrepreneurial things along the way. I I started a mobile bartending service. I went to I went to bartending school when I was 18. And then I started a mobile bartending service when I got out. I, I found that I wasn't uh it was it was tougher to get a job as a bartender like fresh. Um even though you went to bartending school, every place wanted you to start as like a server, you know. And I was like, "Man, I didn't go to bartending school to be a server." you know, and, and work yeah. my way up. It, like, I just, I want a bartending job and I couldn't get one, man. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't want to work for other people anyway. So I'll just start my own bartending company. Uh, so we did mobile bartending for weddings and other, you know, special events, things like that. Um, so I, I did that for a little bit, but I was still doing martial arts at the time. That was like a side, a side thing. And I got the opportunity to open a studio with the, uh, my, actually my original instructor. So I had told him for a while, Hey, I'm interested in, in doing it. And he was just looking for the right location. And we were going to, I was going to be a co-owner basically. So we found a good location. They started construction, opened that school in 2008, right before the economy tanked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I ran that school for five years and it was it was um fairly successful. However, I found out a lot about my instructor that was negative in terms of business partnerships and just the kind of person that he was, kind of behind the scenes. And at the same time, I was getting really down about the direction the martial arts industry was headed. A lot of schools were selling out, actually most schools, I would say were selling out in, in terms of traditional martial arts, like the karates, the taekwondos, things like that. So, And are you, are you talking about like how they go like the McDojo route? In yeah, a sense? the belt factory route, for yeah. sure. And I didn't want to go that route. And my instructor did. My, my partner, um, hard to say partner because it's like he didn't, he didn't really treat me like a partner, you know? So that was part of the problem. And I, and I just started looking for ways to get out. And I remember uh, my, my friend Ryan was actually running the original studio that I left when we opened the new one. And he kind of felt the same way. He saw the behind the scenes stuff and he realized that, look, there's, there's no, we, we've already hit the ceiling for potential here because uh, my partner was also sucking all the money out of the business. He had this like lavish lifestyle because he was the sole owner before we came around and we were teenagers when he hired us. Right. So it's not like we were, he was paying us, um, a, a ton of money, but as we got into our twenties and then late twenties, it's like, yo, like we got a family and you know, we got to make more money, but he didn't have any more money to give us cause he was paying for his Porsches and big house and pool and all this other stuff. And, and at the same time, uh, it wasn't that we didn't have money. We, the business didn't have money like to grow, you know, like you got to invest back in the business if you want things to grow and get bigger. And he wasn't even doing that. It was all to just support the lifestyle that he had already built. And we were kind of doing all the work, running the studios and getting nothing out of it. And we, we saw that there was no future there. So it just turned into a big quagmire. And, uh, it just so happened that, uh, in 2009, I went through that, personal health transformation that I think we talked about on the first episode and people who are bringing their kids to the studio saw that transformation happen, started asking me questions, started asking for some tips and advice. I started doing that on the side. 
Enough people started doing that to where I created a little curriculum and I invited, I sent out an email to the studio and just invited the parents and said, hey, you know, whoever's interested, this is what we're going to do. Ended up getting eight couples, so 16 people to do that first curriculum as a group. And that became the framework for Total Body Reboot that I eventually took online. And the reason I took it online is, I mean, once we did that group and it was successful and I learned a lot from it, I started looking at opportunities and it was just natural to me to to take everything online because I'd been building websites since I was like 12 and I didn't want to keep doing small group type stuff here in Atlanta. I wanted to, you know, I wanted the opportunity to attract people from all over the world to this thing. So I started the site and we're off to the races. Yeah. How many countries? I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I signed up for one of the courses. How many countries total do you do business in online? Do you know? I stopped counting at 35. Uh, when That's we, when we, yeah, when we first started, I, so I got a couple signups in the early days from Texas and Arizona and then like Alaska. And then I think one from, it was like Brazil came in and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then one from Japan and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, I should probably tr- like, you know, keep track of this because it's interesting, you know, that there's people all over the world now uh, getting into this. So I started tracking and every time uh, a new country would come in, I'd add it to the list. You know, when we got to 35, I was like, all right, we've, I've been doing this enough. Like <laughs> we don't need to, <laughs> we don't need to count anymore. So I just say over 35 now. That's a lot, man. I mean, and that's pretty powerful too, to just know that like, I mean, it, it's cool to make a local difference in your city, especially because Atlanta is a pretty big city. And it's like, I think there's six or 8 million people. But then, I mean, when you when you think about what you can do with the internet, and I know just from our conversations, you've helped me kind of shift the way I was thinking about about business. Like, even even if you still want to focus locally, like you need to incorporate the internet somehow. Otherwise, you're missing out on um, huge market potential because there's people looking for what you do, and you're looking for those people, and the internet kind of helps you, you know, bridge that gap. For sure. I also had a, you know, while I was running the studio, actually pretty much every business that I started, I realized at some point that, man, I'm thinking too traditionally and I really don't like to be tied to a location. And I definitely don't be like, I don't like being tied to a schedule. And the martial arts studio is both of those things. I couldn't go on vacation because I, w- I was the studio director and the people under me were, were teenagers, right? It was, it's not like I could just leave the studio in somebody's hands. So I couldn't go on vacation. I had to be there every single day between certain hours. And I, I realized very quickly, like, I didn't create really a company. I became the co-owner of a job, you know? And yeah. so I have, I'm doing the same thing I was doing before. I just have more risk and I have no more upside and no, no additional flexibility or anything else. So rebooted body was very appealing to me taking it online because it got rid of the location issue and it got rid of the scheduling issue. So it did provide the flexibility. It did provide, um, a lot of the freedom. It, it of course provided a lot of risk, but you know, if you're going to take a risk, you you want to get a lot of benefit out of it, and it does offer those benefits. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think 
Now that's something I'm thinking about too, even with, you know, with farming is like, you know, ultimately I don't want to farm and I, and I don't think like it is a lifestyle and I think it's, it's, you know, it's fun right now, but you know, down the, down the line, like, I don't think it's, um, even like people that are, are making the most money, like they are still farming, but they're making more money doing other things within that field. And I think, um, and, and it's kind of a weird thing for me right now, cause now I'm in self-employment and this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, you know, is this, am I really going down the right path? And like, I'm pretty committed now and I, and I'm going to say yes, but it's like, I feel like too, as an entrepreneur and that it's like, I think you naturally, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't, maybe, I mean, who knows, like five years down the line, you may be doing something else. Cause I, I just think it's like your mind, like it, I think it's it's kind of like you you say in your course like managing your inner rebel. Like there's a part of me and there's and I know that there's probably a part of you too that's just going to say okay, I'm really I'm really kind of getting sick of this. Like I need to do something different within this field otherwise I'm just going to get bored. Um, right. Like how do you so what do you because you talk about that a lot in your course for fitness, but I think it, you know, I've I've watched you do um coaching in your blog where it's just your perspective and I hear you talking about that. Like, I, I kind of want to dive deeper in it because there's, there's a part of me like, okay, now that I work for me and I manage my time and like, I feel like every, like I, I want to get up earlier because it's, you know, if it's hot outside, I'm going to get up earlier, obviously, just so I'm not just killing myself in the heat and working in the peak hours of the day or a heat of the day. But like, then there's a part of me too, that's like, well, it's not hot out. So I'm not going to really wake up early if I can still do the same work later on and not not feel miserable outside you know what i mean and it's just i think people think that you you know they they put these uh um i don't want to say labels but just these ideas like oh you have to do this this way otherwise and i don't know like I've, like some day, weeks i'm fine when i wake up early and I'm, I'm ready to go then other weeks i'm just like yeah my body says no like you need to get some sleep like you need to take care of yourself and i feel like there's always this balance and like you know, and I, and I feel like that's managing the inner rebel is just, it's still really tough for me and it's still really difficult. So what like strategies have you used for you to kind of manage this? Cause it's, and, and I guess too, how did you kind of come up with this, this idea of the inner rebel? And I don't know if you got it from somewhere else or that was something that you, you just kind of put together and that's what you called it. Well, the, uh, now the inner rebel, I think is, uh, I don't know. It's to me, it's intuitive. Right. And as far as the the issue you just brought up, I think variety is super important in, in almost everything. Like it's it's why we have four seasons, you know, like if it was always winter, we'd be miserable. If it was always summer, we'd be miserable. And, you know, there's always people complaining about summer when other people love summer and there's people complaining about winter when other people love winter. And it's, so it's a, it's a perspective thing, but it's also a variety thing. Like the fact that we're able to go through those four seasons and by the time one season is about to end, you're pretty much ready for the next season to begin. And I think if you're just slogging away, doing the same stuff over and over and over, like there's no seasonality in, in what you're doing. Uh, which running Rebooted Body offers a lot of variety. Doing online business really at all uh, offers a lot of variety. So for example, if I'm really stuck on writing articles, okay, well, I'll just go podcast instead. 
or if I'm stuck on podcasting and writing articles, okay, I'll just, I'll go shoot videos instead, right? So there's a lot of variety in that. I get to do graphic design. I get to do audio editing. I get to do video editing. Uh, if I don't want to produce content there, maybe I'll do a vlog episode or something. So the more variety, the better. But I also think it's kind of like with money. You know, they they say that uh, if you if you have fuck you money, it's not fuck you money if you never say fuck you, right? If you're if you're always grinding, even though you have all this money, and you could just say, I don't want to do anything. Everybody go away, right? You don't. Need, I don't need any more money. I don't need to be working right now. But if people never say that, then what's the point of having it all? And so if you're going to build a business where you have supposedly all this opportunity for flexibility and all this opportunity for balance, but you aren't okay with waking up one day and just saying, I'm not feeling it today and going back to bed or doing nothing that entire day, then what was the point of building that thing with all that? You might as well just have a job that you have to show up to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I... Yeah. And, and it's like, and even with farming, like I've, I've been doing everything I can to get it automated. Like I don't want to fucking hand water. So I installed some, some irrigation or I don't want to weed. So I try to use landscape fabric so I don't have to weed as much. And so I, I just think it's like, you know, working smarter, not harder, but you know, at the same time, like, you know, there are certain times like sales wise, like, I, you know, it, I think that's, it's, it's like, for me, it's managing the difficulty has been like this season it's like managing i when i was working part-time with my part-time brain a focus on this business it it, it's like i thought that i would i was ready i thought i had enough infrastructure and then it's like when i have more like when i own my time and i look at things i'm like why was i doing it this way or why you know what i mean and it's like so, so there so i have been investing more in infrastructure it's not much more man like i'm not it's not like I'm spending a ton of money and, and, and I've been trying to make as smart of moves as possible and I'm trying to play a different game, but I do need money to, to make, I do need to make money now. So like I, I joined another farmer's market yesterday and that's a bit of a grind, but you know, a couple markets a week is a lot better than when I was, you know, sitting in a cubicle every fucking day and answering phone calls and dealing with somebody else's assholes. But it's just like, you know, this it, and and I feel like I, I kind of feel like I'm kind of at that point right now, Kevin, because it's like, man, like I'm not doing farming to deal with other people's bullshit. Like, and I don't want other people's bullshit. Like, I I I know I got to deal with my own bullshit, and I have a lot of bullshit sometimes. So I feel like I, I'm like a a master of knowing bullshit because I fed myself so much bullshit over the years, um, which is I don't know, like that's a whole other tangent to where. Where uh, it's easy to tell where you read something now and like, oh, I think that's bullshit because I feel like it's something I've fed myself before. But um, ultimately, I agree. And I, and I think it's, you know, the, the variety for me is like, you know, I, I want to enjoy my life, man. Like, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, you only have one life that you're guaranteed. So why would you, you know, I mean, and, and I do and I, and I feel like I've had good friends say I'm too nice in business. And I need to be able to say fuck you more, be okay with it, and and not and I and I feel like one thing that like it's really bugging me and like it maybe and I think it's it's probably, you know, when you when you start doing entrepreneurship, I remember reading in books that like, you know, you you start to see the things in yourself that you don't really like because 
like externally you'll notice things that are bugging you and it's like man like i'm so fucking agreeable sometimes yeah. it's making it's making me sick um anyways i don't know where all that shit came from kevin this is a podcast about you but i, I feel my inner rebel that's it my inner rebel is just starting to really come out and get pissed with me and uh and and so i think it's like finding that variety for me and finding that that happy place and knowing how much money i need to make because uh I think that's a big thing too. Like, fuck you, money can be whatever you make it, whatever you know you need to live on. Yeah, and and then from there you can start playing different games. To okay, if I want to raise my living situation, I need to play this game a little bit more to make that little bit more money. Was that kind of one of your strategies, or how did you how did you go into that? Because I I mean I don't I mean I don't think you you have a nice house and everything, but it's not like you're trying to live a some like crazy lifestyle where you're you know, trying to tie Lopez it and say, look at all my cars, look at all my girls. Like you have a very, like, it looks like you live a nice, modest life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there's no, there's, there would be no problem. I have no problem making more money. If I, if I made 10 times as much money, I definitely wouldn't be complaining. Right. But if it requires so much more work and hustle and focus and doing stuff I don't want to do, then it's not worth it to me. Uh, so if I happen across something that allows me to generate a lot more money with the same amount of effort, so I can still have flexibility and I can still have balance, then I'm, I'm going to latch on to that. And I think it, it also comes from a confidence that if, if rebooted body doesn't work out for, like, I know the skills that I have and I know what value they bring to any business. And I'm pretty sure that I could go in and demonstrate my value if I needed to, to, to a business and, and get hired and get paid until I found something else. But I'm also always thinking about alternatives, plan Bs and Cs and Ds, and, and I'm testing the waters with certain things. And that's what I did with, that's how Rebooted Body started. Like I, I wasn't, I never said, man, I hate this co-owning a martial arts studio thing and I'm just going to quit and then try to build something. I built Rebooted Body while I was doing the martial arts thing on the side and it got to a point, I saw potential, and it got to a point where I realized that it was an avenue for me to leave. But I've never been, I, do, I don't marry myself to businesses that, that I build. Like, even though I was passionate about martial arts, I wasn't married to the studio that I co-owned. I mean, I worked in it for five years. I knew all the kids. I knew, like, by name. I, I traveled around with 14 or 15 of them because uh, I was the head coach of our national competition team. Like, so these were like actual relationships I had. I still wasn't married to the business and the idea of it. Like I would have left at any time. And I'm, I'm not married to Rebooted Body. I like what I'm doing right now. But if something isn't serving me, like if I, if I build this business and it's doing okay, but it's, it's requiring so much grind and it's not giving back to me because of whatever issue, and maybe it's my fault, maybe it's not my fault, but the reality stands if it's not giving back to me and there's another opportunity, like I don't, I'm, I won't hesitate to take something behind the barn and just shoot it in the face, you know, like <laughs> I, it's, I'll move on. Because you you only have one life. I'm not like these uh, super 
um, you know, it, what's that show uh, that I like? The the Prophet, I think it's called on CNBC, right? Like you see some of these people who their business is failing. They've been slaving away for like eight years. They live on a couch. They have nothing. And they're just still trying to grind that same idea and make it work and make it work and make it work. Dude, I would have left a long time ago, like started something new, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't get emotionally tied to things like that, to businesses. That makes sense. Like how long, at what point do you think people should walk away from something? Like I remember a, a mentor told me like years ago, like give something your all for two years. And if you're still not making it work, then you need to move on to something else. Do you think that's a good measurement or is it just when you know that it, you know, I think when you're living on a couch, it's just too much. Like, when do you think enough is enough? Or do you think it's just up to the individual? I think it's up to the individual. I think it's up to time, time frame. I think it's about being honest with yourself about how much you've really put into it. Um, some people get just pot. Com some people get pot committed with time and money, right? Uh, where I can see the money thing. If you poured a ton of money into something, I don't see the time thing. Like to me, you, you already lost it. Like you're not getting the time back. Like just move on. Yeah. You, you can only lose more of it, you know? Um, so I think it's time frame for sure, but I think you got to look at other things. You have to look at potential. Um, I think if, but you have to be honest with yourself. Some people are like the, oh, I'm one big break away. You know, I'm one big client away, but like one big client doesn't make a business. So you have to be honest with yourself. And if you're not getting a bunch of clients, then there's a problem there. So if you look at a bunch of different factors and you're still not feeling like there's, uh, th th this is going to end well, then I think it's time to go. I think if it's not supporting you after two years and you don't see it supporting you anytime soon, you basically just have a hobby, you know, you don't have yeah. a business. So that would be time, you know, to move on as well. Now that makes sense, man. So, um, so I guess shifting gears here, um, I do want to talk about this cause I thought it was hilarious and great all at the same time was, uh, uh, the American Heart Association article that your your recent viral article you wrote, um, and and to me it, it it's interesting because like I I I'd, I'd been coming to these con conclusions before I really got to know you and and sign up in your course and I read like uh, uh, the big fat lie um, why you know I think it's like why bacon butter and saturated fat belongs in your diet by Nina Ty Schultz and and it talked about like how the American Heart Association has always been like their whole fucking history. They've been this, uh, um, kind of, they've always hoard themselves out to who's paying them money. And I think, and it's interesting too. And, and you pointed out in your article, um, like, it's funny. Like I, I just, I invested in this, this basically this, it's called, uh, proud Ohio or, Ohio or, or, or Ohio Proud, which is like this agriculture thing. So it shows that I'm, I'm grown in Ohio and all that stuff. And it was like 25 bucks for the year, but it's this great marketing material and I could put it on all my stuff. And, and it was interesting because a lot of people think that American Heart Association means that you automatically, that they're, they're, they must be a, an expert because of their name. But I liked in your article, you, you showed the, there's just the astronomical amount 
that they charge people to put that on there. Like I know Subway had it on there for a while, Mm -hmm. which anybody that's eaten Subway now, even though they they cleverly fooled people into thinking that eating Subway was like working out or something like that. Like it was it was a healthy activity. I think Jim Gaffigan has a joke about it. But it, it, it you made a good point and I'll let you talk go into it, but are they a bigger terrorist organization than I think you said than ISIS, right? Uh or, yeah, well I just I asked the question in the title, is the AHA a terrorist organization? And then yeah, the article started with what is the difference between the AHA and ISIS? And then the next sentence was something like, uh, the AHA is a lot more successful at doing doing harm. Uh, to people, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's an authority play. I think if you look at A H A, it's like the three letters. It's like FBI, CIA, kind of this. We'll just we'll join the alphabet soup of like what, yeah. what government does, and it's the American Heart Association. So you know we are we stand for all Americans, and we're the official American you know narrative around heart health and all of this stuff, and it's just. It's all an appeal to authority and they partner with doctors and they partner with the government. But of course, behind the scenes, they're just taking a bunch of money from pharmaceutical companies and raising a bunch of money from well-meaning Americans and putting out a bunch of science to quote unquote science to fulfill an agenda. Yeah, man, it, it's it's messed up, and I'm glad that you highlighted it. And you did, you got some. I think somebody said, I think they they did say it best when they put it. It it was clickbait that followed through, and it really was. And 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 you made a good point in your podcast episode too, of that. Yeah, I'm using sensationalism to fight sensationalism. I mean, it, 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 at a certain point, you have to. Right, right. Um, and, you know, they, they do it to grab headlines for the agenda they want to push. So I'll do it to grab headlines in the opposite direction, you know, and it, and it works. It's, it's, uh, it's about to pass 100,000 views. So it's getting out there. Doctors are sharing it. Researchers are sharing it. Everyday people are sharing it. I've got about 95, I would estimate, percent support on it. The 5% that aren't supportive of it are acting like children. They're, they're calling me names. They don't have any arguments. It's all ad hominem attacks and pouting and, you know, whatnot. People threatening me. So it's... Uh, How did they threaten you? What do they say? They're going to sue you? Uh, they told me... One guy told me he was going to uh, submit the article to the AHA's legal department. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, so <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, it's... um. But it's they're just shills for that because you I asked them directly I I was like just give me an argument just provide an argument just tell me one thing that was wrong or incorrect give me some research nothing they got nothing right so um, and that's why ninety five percent of the people including doctors and researchers shared it in support of it liked it etc you know so it's, it's a dying organization in my estimation. I think so too. I think people are starting to wise up and I think it, it's been an interesting thing too with, um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about home delivery of organic food and, or just good local food and, and my plans and, and trying to get that started. But, you know, Amazon buying whole foods, a lot of people are freaking out a bit and I'm like, you know, whole foods kind of sucks anyway. It does like it's suck, too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> they gas, they, they gas, gas their meats, meat. which I don't know why the hell you'd want 
to eat gassed meat. Like, oh, it's it's more humane. Is that really what you want to eat? Like, I, I now Joel Salatin points that out, and, and I think their their shit's so overpriced. I think it sucks, and you and, and it's good that you agree. But it's it's still a sign that people care because Whole right. Foods still still symbolizes a sense of health and, and a sense of of uh, I'm I'm taking care of myself. I went to Whole Foods, but it's like that's just that's just one of it the layers demand. of the onion. Yeah, it shows it shows demand. But yeah. just like any other, I mean, the, the point that I've been making for years is you go into a traditional grocery store, 80% of what's available there is processed garbage. And if you go into Whole Foods, 80% of that store is processed garbage too. So yeah. yeah. And then like you said, you know, how, how great is the meat and so on and so forth. So, but it's, it does show the demand, which is really what's important because we can do it right eventually even though whole foods isn't necessarily doing it right we can do it right eventually but you can never do it right if the demand's not there yeah absolutely but i I think people are just getting more wise to their health and i think that's that's a good thing like um and kind of another thing on aha too and i've gotten into arguments with my mom about it because a lot of people still like it so i had i tried to get this guy on the podcast when i first started like he He's a cardiothoracic surgeon and he used to come when I was, I was still like a door guy and he used to come in all the time and we, we would just talk. Cause I, I was for one of the, one of the many career paths that didn't work out for me, Kevin was, I thought I'd want to scan there. hearts and I just mainly, Hello? yeah, I'm still here. Sorry. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One of the many, uh, failed careers I'd had in the past was I thought I'd wanted to scan hearts. So I was like in college and realizing that I, I was going to be miserable in any career I went down. And I, the only things I didn't really study were business and engineering. And, uh, but I, I feel like I studied pretty much everything else for that. I could get a career out of like, I didn't study philosophy or anything like that. But I, so I was doing like echo sonography, which is like, just, um, for people that don't listen to it, it's the same thing that don't know what it is. And you're listening. It's like the same thing. So it's the same technology that you view to see a baby, but you would use it to view a health, a heart. And that was, that was like, I just really wanted to get some time in the hospital because I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then like talking, like just figuring that out, I was like, man, these, these cardiologists are like, there's a echo thing, man, where you stick this thing down your throat because you want to get an inside picture and it's this giant rod. And you basically the person goes under and then you jam this thing down their throat and watching these, these cardiologists that aren't athletic or coordinated, try to use this stuff. It was kind of mind-boggling. I'm like, is this really good? Is this but what those we want are to the be doing? People... Yeah, yeah. And these are the these are the same people that are putting stents in in arteries. And I don't know like what research you've done into this, but this guy, this cardiothoracic surgeon said like it was like some ridiculous high. It was above 50% of surgeries that he was doing were to fix stents or remove stents that cardiologists had put in and like a lot of people don't know um and maybe this is something i mean it's it's just kind of the whole thing of like a a healthcare system or or any system that kind of like gets established is like it becomes alive and it's going to want to survive so like it it, it, i mean we could talk for hours about our healthcare system and the, the problems we both see with it but to me it's like you know people think that a stent is is good but what people don't realize is if you get a surgery you go into a, if you get a heart if you have a heart attack and you go into a hospital, they're gonna give you a stent not because it's helpful for you, but because a hospital makes ridiculous amounts of money on it, and it's and it's something that uh, somebody that's not trained 
to put things in your body or remove things from your body, a, a cardiologist is going to do. And to me, that's incredibly disturbing. And it's it's the same thing with like the American Heart Association, where people put that. Just the idea of this is is I don't know why I got on this tangent, Kevin, but like the the idea of it is that people think that it's it is an appeal to authority, and it's in it. And I hope that I hope that's like the next thing that kind of comes out. It's like a man. It's it's if you get a stent, like if 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 I don't. It's just so well, weird. Doctors, like how quick hospitals are. Yeah, no. Yeah. These doctors are in a position where you need them to survive, but you don't really know what you need to survive. So you have this person who's this advisor and you're like, what do I need? And it's like a if you don't know anything about cars and you take your car to a mechanic, I mean, this is less critical, right? Because if your car dies, like whatever, like you can get another one. It's not your body, but it's kind of the same relationship where you're like, I don't know anything about this car, right? So I, I'm asking you, what do I need? And he could tell you anything, right? Oh, oh, you're going yeah. on a trip? Your car needs this or your car's going to die mid-trip and you're going to get stranded. I don't know if he's lying to me or not. And a doctor is in that same position. He could know very well, ah, this person doesn't really need a stent, right? But, you know... I just tell them they do and we get to bill it to insurance and uh, we're off to the races. I remember when I worked in a pharmacy, uh, there's this stuff called magic mouthwash, right? It's for people with uh, canker sores and such. So doctor prescribes magic mouthwash. So magic mouthwash is something the pharmacist has to compile. So any anytime the pharmacist has to like make a, a drug or a combination or whatever, it's called a, a, a compound. So if you do a compound, you can bill it to insurance in a in a different way, I think, or at least this used to be the case. This was forever ago when when I worked. It was I was a teenager when I was working in the pharmacy, like seventeen years old, and uh, I remember him telling me even back then, yeah, we get to bill it because it's a comp. Literally, I watched him pour two things into one bottle. <laughs> I, I think if I remember correctly, it was just but like it wasn't like crushing up pills, measuring stuff, you know, really intricately. It was literally like, here's a bottle of this, pour some in, here's a bottle of this, pour some in, we have magic mouthwash. And then he would go into the system to bill insurance and it would be like $100 a minute or something. And and it was like three minutes of time. It, so he'd bill this like outrageous Thing. And he'd be like, we can, we can do that. Cause, uh, you know, the insurance companies pay it. Like they already have a, a verified transaction history of this exact same thing at this price. So it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if he's basically raping the system, it's just how it is. That's, they know they can bill it. So that's what they bill. And then yeah, everybody's like, why is it so expensive? <laughs> no, I agree. If there's incentives in place, people are going to exploit them. And and I think that's the that's like the the thing that people don't they don't want to they don't want to understand that like being in sales for multiple with multiple corporations like the first thing I would always do is figure out okay how can I maximize this compensation plan and so people figure out creative ways to do that and then they they figure that out that you're that oh I didn't know you could do it this way and then they're and then it's like everybody gets punished for it. And and I think it's the same thing with our healthcare system. Like whether it's, you know, the mixing two compounds together and charging three hundred dollars for it, or it's it's just kind of a man. It, it's it's such a it's such a fucked up situation. And then it's just like what's even worse is most things are preventable. Like it's it was interesting to see 
my um so my grandmother just passed away like she hadn't gone to the doctor in 25 years wasn't on any drugs she went out the way she wanted to go out i'm sure she wanted to live longer but man she went in the hospital and the doctor said no idea what was wrong with her and it's like so wait you're supposed to be the professionals like can't you figure it out by her symptoms like don't you isn't there some some magical test and they didn't know and and i don't i and she was so she was so crazy. She was like, I don't want an autopsy. Like when I die, I'm dead. Like that was kind of it. Like it was just my time to go. So I, I think it's 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 you know, it's easy for people to not and and I think your car example is a great example because like I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna take the time to work on cars, but I know enough about cars where I could figure out what's what's going wrong on it and then Say okay, and then you can do some internet research, and then then you can arm yourself with some information. So when a mechanic, if a mechanic says something crazy to you, which if you take your car to a dealership, they probably will. And it, it, it but it's the same thing with a doctor and drugs, and like you know, it's it's so crazy. Um, you know, the marketing thing, or even like so anything like so. Um, the American Heart Association went hard at coconut oil. It's probably because the, the coconut oil people weren't paying them money that they wanted. So they're like, well, we're not going to say it's healthy like olive oil is. like, Or somebody else paid them money to, to say, you know, oh, that's not health healthy. But it's, it's funny because they're always talking about like this is the new superfood. It's like, you know, if you eat real food, every food is a superfood. Like it's really, it's really crazy when you eat real food, what your body does. Or I mean, even for me, man, like, I mean, just from my, like since, since we started talking i think i've lost like 34 pounds like i'm in, down to like in between 264 and 274 like i kind of there's like a 10 i always fluctuate like 10 pounds and um when i first started i was like 297 and for me it was even just not drinking alcohol like which which should be obvious because you are technically intoxicated so you're willingly putting a toxin in your body um but i the, the whole point is, is that um, I was trying to lead you up to say something, Kevin, and then I, I drewed up the conversation there. Um, uh, when it was about, uh, I think you were going the, the, with the coconut oil, the saturated fat yeah. route, and who is incentivizing this like advisory against coconut oil. And Correct. I think with <laughs> the pharmaceutical industry, because I think the biggest thing the AHA is on about is cholesterol and statin drugs. Like, really two two main recommendations that they want to make as much as possible are take statin drugs actually three take statin drugs eat vegetable oils and eat AHA approved products like those are their three things and so pharmaceutical companies love when they demonize saturated fat and talk because that pushes the cholesterol narrative and the cholesterol narrative leads right into statin drugs. And if you eat AHA approved products, obviously that helps the AHA. And then they're also in bed with big agriculture, which is churning out vegetable and seed oils at a very high rate. Um, and that's also subsidized by the government as well. So there's a big circle jerk going on there. So it just really comes down to those three things and whatever whatever narrative they have to push to make those three things happen, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's annoying, but I think it's like, you know, people people have to realize that that's why it is. It's from the incentives. 
And I think I think coconut oil is really good, but I think I mean I prefer I prefer cooking in lard personally. Like I, I yeah, I don't I'm use not... it for cooking much. Uh, I I put it in things like I'll put it in if I make a a protein shake, for example, I'll throw some coconut oil in there. Um, there's that's really the only thing I use it for. Yeah, I, I do you do the thing with coffee? Butter. Like do you do um do you like putting it in your coffee for no? Even I, though, didn't, uh, I don't because I don't you gotta. I'm not big on the flavor of of coconut. Um, the only thing I the only coconut thing that I really like is like the coconut flakes. Um, but like oil, it it taints the flavor of things too much for me. I I couldn't stand it in coffee. Yeah, I I like it better. Like I like it better if I'm just putting butter in, or even like if I can get it, like some grass fed heavy cream. Like I I like the fat with that. Like I. I feel a lot better when I'm consuming more fat than, um, I don't know, maybe it's just my body type, but I, I, I feel a lot better when I'm consuming fat. Um, I mean, I still eat vegetables and meat, but I mean, we should eat more fat. I mean, I know one thing you had said, cause I'd asked you about ketogenic and, uh, a lot of people, especially Joe, where we can always talk about ketogenic or, or cycling keto. And and something you said was pretty interesting is like it's it's easy to get carried away with calories and I think too um it's easy to something that you there was a podcast you did um you're you're one about how the guy spoofed the health industry and is saying that chocolate you'll lose weight eating chocolate it was yeah. just bullshit studies and it got pushed through and something you and the the um the lady that you had on your show talked about which really helps me too and I, I talk about it too even at the farmer's market i talked about it the other day somebody was talking about the the different colored carrots like there's some study that came out that if you get these black carrots from india or whatever there there's something in them that make them even better it's like well just eat you know just grow some carrots and you're gonna get really good benefits yeah. but it's like don't eat something because you think it's healthy like don't don't eat it for that reason i mean just do you want to kind of uh elaborate on the the, all that that crap I just yeah, threw out. I mean, I, I think what one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately that's it's just it gets kind of silly is the uh, people's focus on really small details, minutia, right? Like I always get the question, what what's your favorite protein powder, for example? I'll get this email from someone and I'll ask them what their goals are. And they come back with, well, I got 120 pounds to lose and I am uh, I drink alcohol way too much. I smoke and I do X, Y, Z. I'm not very like physically active. So you're like a two, right, on a scale of one to 10 and you want to know what the best protein powder is. That's like a, that's like a biohack. Like that's that's somebody can ask that question if they want to go from a nine and a half to a 10, right? When you're a two, there's a lot more shit that you can be worrying about than what, you know, brand of protein powder. And this happens all the time with different like minutia questions that I get asked where it's like, you're, if you're a two, just focus on being a five or a seven. Like it's so easy to get to five or seven or eight the questions that people are asking are shit you need to ask when you're a nine and a half wanting to get to 10, which I tell people all the time, it's really cool to be an eight or a nine. Like I don't, I don't worry at all about being a 10. Uh, I have no interest in being a 10 because I know that being a 10 is, is crazy making in a lot of ways. So my whole thing is getting people from a two to an eight and then just, Hey, enjoy your life at that point, you know? 
Um, but yeah, it's the, uh, the, the really detailed questions, I think, on stuff that just doesn't matter. And I, and I think people do that because it's fun. Like it's fun to ask those questions and try to nail that kind of stuff down. But I think it's also just a huge distraction for them. Like I think at some level they know that they're just distracting themselves from doing the stuff they know they should be doing anyway. Um, but yeah. they feel like, man, if I'm asking questions and I'm getting answers, like I'm doing something, you know? And it, it goes back to, I think I made a podcast on, I definitely sent an email to the list about it, that information gathering and reading, like consumption is not execution, you know? So you can consume a bunch of information and facts and research and knowledge and get answers to stuff, but th- none of that is execution. You feel like you're executing. You feel like you're doing something important. You're not doing a damn thing. You got to execute. Yeah, it's um, or even as an entrepreneur, like, is this a uh, income producing activity that I'm doing? Like, and I think like I, I'm trying to live in that question. It's the same thing with your health. Like, is this really me making a difference, or you know? And I and I think uh, for me personally, like I, I've been noticing that I've been eating out more. Like, just it's like okay, I don't need to be spending the extra money, but at the same time, like, look, you're you're busier, so it's easier to justify it. Like. Maybe I should just take an extra 10 minutes and plan some meals or cook up a bunch of, of beef and then I can just always reheat it and make salads. Like, cause I like, I like, I'm a big fan of warm meat on salads, mm-hmm. Kevin. I, mm-hmm. I think we talked about before. How I think that people that order burgers without buns are just playing games with themselves and they should just eat a lot more greens and just cook up a burger and throw it on top and make a burger salad. Um, like I, I I could eat that stuff all day until I get sick of it, and then I figure out something else, and then I get sick of that, and then I don't know. Maybe that's not a, as sustainable. But if I really like to eat something, it's like part of me is just like, oh, I want to eat the shit out of this, and then I I start getting bored, and then I find something else, and I eat the shit out of that, and then I, I get bored, good. and I, I find something else. Because because in a way, you're reducing the amount of decisions that you have to make. You know, like there's a lot of people who get stuck because they have to eat something different at every single meal, every single day. And if you don't have a lot of physical, mental, and emotional resources, that gets pretty overwhelming. So if people have the ability to just put things on repeat and autopilot, you can get a very long way doing that. So, I mean, thumbs up to that. So it's a, it's a good strategy. <laughs> well, I, pre- I appreciate that. Yeah, I need to, I need to do, there's, like it's it's like I have all this beef and it's just like man I just need to cook it up. Like I I uh I get a little bit too hippie-ish and I'm like, "Ah, oh, man, I don't know if I want to heat it up in the microwave." Like I don't know what that radiation's doing to my food, but I'm like, "You know what, man, it's still better than eating McDonald's or spending money you don't need to spend." Or throwing a and TV th- dinner in the microwave. You know, there's always yeah. like a, there's always a trade-off. Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting too, man. I've been listening to uh the Thomas Soul, like I actually, I start diving deep into like his his ideas because he's a he's a pretty interesting old dude and he talks a lot about culture. But he always says that like there's always a trade off, like in in everything there's there's a trade off. It's never we're gonna improve this by doing this and everyone's happier. Like no, like something is always affected by that. But it's like I I don't I don't know why that the the, the term trade off I think just just sparked that in my my uh. My brain, Kevin, but I, I agree. Like I think, um, and like for right now, like I'm, I'm, I, I read that book, the One Minute Workout, because it was like even like I'd be, I'd be tired, and I was trying to do even like your workouts. I'm like, 
man, these are really hard. Like I'm really tired already. And these are really hard, but they're like, they're not really that hard. I think if you're doing nothing, it's, it's actually fine. But, um, I'm like, man, these are, these are really hard. So then I just started doing the, um, you know, or just like something simple, like doing, like, what do you think about, uh, like a hundred, if you just try to do as many pushups as you can in a day, or like, I saw like this, these videos where people are doing like a hundred squats a day or a hundred pushups a day. You think that's, you're running into the dangers of kind of the monotony of it. If you do it for like 30 days. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's different for everybody. There's a lot of people out there with, with personalities where they just like strange shit, you know, and stuff that I would yeah. never do. They, they find to be really enjoyable and fun and it works for them. So I never really make prescriptions on, on people's behavior like that. Um, I, I personally like, I do that very often. Like I'll do, I'll set a goal of a hundred pushups in a day and I'll just spread them out. I'll do like 25 and then randomly in a couple hours, I'll do another 25 then another 25, another 25, you know, all, all movement counts. And that's one of the things yeah. is people compartmentalize exercise a lot. So they feel like they have to do an organized workout in order for movement to count you know, or their organized workout has to be done in a certain location. Like if I didn't go to the gym, it didn't count. And so you'll get people who are doing out, they're out doing yard work all day, like three hours of yard work. And I'm like, uh, you know, what'd you get for exercise today? And they'll be like, ah, I didn't get to the gym. And I asked them about, you know, well, what other movement did you, well, I worked in the yard for three. Well, why don't you count that? Like, why don't you celebrate yeah. that? Why don't you tick that box? And then they wonder, like, why don't I have, why do I always run out of momentum and motivation? And it's like, because you kill your momentum and your motivation because you do stuff that's legitimate and you don't recognize it and you don't celebrate it and you get down on yourself when there's no reason to get down on yourself. So, um, yeah, I think all movement counts. I think in the beginning when you're really out of shape, you have to look at success as just an on-off switch. Like, you were off. Did I flip the switch on? It doesn't matter what I what I accomplished when I flipped the switch on. Just the fact that I switched it on, I need to recognize and celebrate as a success. Because people, and this is, I, I see this primarily in people who are uh, more athletic, actually. So if they have a history of athleticism, maybe they did sports in high school or college, or they just remember that when they were younger, they were pretty nimble and in fairly good shape. And they're really out of shape now. And you have them do a workout. They don't like their performance relative to what they remember they used to be capable of. And it starts this whole cycle of just like Debbie Downer syndrome, you know, where they can't and probably overtraining too. Right. Cause I, I, I know I ran into that when I first tried to get back into shape from when I was younger, yeah, I, I mean, people are constantly. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 desperately people are desperately trying to get back to where they used to be. They're feeling bad about the fact that they used to be so in so much you know great shape, and now they can't really do anything. Rather than just recognizing, yeah, I'm really out of shape, and it's a process, and the fact that I'm doing something about it is a win. Why can't we just leave it at that, right? It's it's always, oh, I got to be a Debbie Downer because I had to stop and rest during the workout or I didn't finish the workout or well, there's always something, you know, rather than just recognizing, hey, 
I was sitting on the couch for the last six months and I finally got up and, and did a, a workout and I'm starting to get serious about this. The fact that I just got my body moving and I did a workout is all that I need to recognize as a win. And I need to move on and use that as momentum and motivation going forward rather than shitting on the momentum and motivation by saying, yeah, but it wasn't like it used to be, you know, it's, of course it's not. Yeah. You're getting older and your body's not going to, like I, I, I know my, my, um, my stepmom, like she tried so hard to stay in shape. So I went, I went running with her the other day and I was actually surprised like at how far I could run. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of running. Um, I don't think you are either. I heard you on that, that podcast you with you and Zach, like you started running again. You're like, wait, what am I doing with this? Like, I don't, I don't need to do, I don't need to like, like it was, it was good for me. Cause it was like a good shock. Like, I think I, I did run it. I ran and then I did some squat jumps or something like that. And, um, and my calves were like killing me for a couple of days. It was like a good, a good soreness. And, uh, but I, I think it's like, you know, I, I just see it where people, I think people underestimate how mentally tough they actually are. And so instead of like, just like you said, just building that momentum, they just, they do kill it because they're, they push themselves too hard or they get too hard on themselves. It's like, look, you're doing something. That's more than most people, or that's more than you were doing, and your body's going to appreciate it, which is what you just said. But I, I, I love that message in your course too. I mean, just just move, like just get out there and move, or you know, briskly walk. And I remember I was like, so you know, what about ten thousand steps a day? And you said I wouldn't even hold yourself to that. Just try to walk for half hour to an hour, and just be okay with it. And I, because I actually stopped doing Fitbit, man, and I felt like I made more gains because like the Fitbit thing. Like I got rid of the whole thing because it was like, and, and I think it was probably something similar to um, that other app that everybody uses that you're not a fan of. Um, I forget what it's called. Uh, My Fitness Pal. Like I, I think a lot of times like you can, like it's fun to track yourself for a little bit, but then it become, then it can become like counterproductive and this obsessive compulsive thing to where you can't enjoy when you want to go out and eat ice cream or something like that because it's, it's you're you're getting yourself in your head because you're not going to be perfect, nor should you want to be. Um, but yeah, man, I feel so much better after getting rid of Fitbit. Have you have you noticed similar things with Fitbit that as to like my fitness pal and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it does get very destructive. It depends on again people's personality. Person. But when I'd be in coaching calls and somebody'd be telling me about their Fitbit. And literally they would tell me that they, they wanted to hit 10,000 cause that's the number. So they get really neurotic about hitting 10,000. So they will have a really, you know, hard day at work or something happens with the kids or whatever. So they don't get a lot of their steps in. And so they'll be like, yeah, so it was uh 1145 PM. I had 15 minutes left to get the rest of my steps. So I went up to my bedroom and I just ran in place. I just ran in place to get those steps. And I was like, is that really like fun? Like, did you want to be doing that? Like, what, what are you, what are you doing right now? You know, um, I've done that. Yeah. So see, <laughs> see, it's like, it, it, does that sound like, it doesn't sound like normal behavior to me. So it's, no, it's just this it arbitrary, sucks. like you're a slave to this fucking thing on your wrist. And you could just get the steps tomorrow. You could like, it's not going to matter if you're, and this is where my bank account philosophy really comes in. It's like, are we making more deposits into our health bank account than withdrawals? Okay. You're winning. Now, do you want to win faster? 
change that ratio a little bit more. Do you want to do you want to win more? All right, change the ratio even more. Everything again has trade-offs and consequences. If you're 90-10, you're going to make a lot faster progress than if you're 60-40. But if you're 60-40, you're still winning in a lot of ways. Like it's only when it's 40-60 and it's starting to go the opposite direction that you really start losing. So it's just a matter of making more deposits than withdrawals and then however many physical, mental, and emotional resources you feel like you have, you can contribute those to adjusting that ratio more towards, you know, 90-10-ish or 95-5 sometimes. Like, and and for me personally, it, it's always dependent on what's going on in my life, you know? So the jujitsu test that I had, try, getting my purple belt, I knew that I had a, a big two-hour Ironman event coming up where we basically have to grapple um, everybody that shows up to that event, 40 to 50 people, one by one in a row, starting with the white belts, going all the way to black belt. It's going to be very taxing. So because I love jujitsu and because I like have pride in what I do, like the quality of my technique and performance and all of that, I made sure, like I was pretty much 95-5 for like three weeks leading up to that because I wanted my body to be in the best shape possible in order to do that event and do it well. And then after that event, I went back to my normal like 80-20, 85-15-ish kind of lifestyle. Um, so it can change depending on those factors. And I was intrinsically motivated to change it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be 95.5 because I got to lose some weight. I got to lose five pounds. I got to lose 10 pounds. It was, I want to perform at this other event that I love doing. So here's what I need to do in order to do that. Uh, and I talk about that all the time where if you choose activities that you love, that's going to intrinsically motivate nutrition to a large degree because generally you want to perform well in those activities that you've chosen. So um, if you can get all of these pieces of the puzzle to play off of each other and leverage each other, it can make success kind of start to feel effortless after a while. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I notice even with myself, like I, I'll I'll have gains and then it's like I'll I'll get bored or something and I and I think it's like when I really focus and I really want to lose weight I do but sometimes I just want to have fun and then fun takes over and I, I think I'm constantly battling hedonism <laughs> like I feel like that's like my biggest my biggest uh, thing in, in all aspects of my life because I like to leisure and I like to have fun and hang out and enjoy time with friends and and work on relationships so it's like you know, I need to be healthy or I need to make money so I can pay my bills. So I guess I should probably, you know, grind this out a little bit. And I'm trying to find like a, a happy balance. No, and that's good like though. That. Like, like, I think if you look back to human history, I mean, lots of celebrations, lots of laying around in the shade, taking naps, conserving energy, you know, hunting when you needed to, that kind of thing. Like, you know, it's that's why... Like I have a lot of respect for Gary V, but I don't want to be Gary V. You know, like I, yeah. I, I don't want to build the biggest business on the block. I don't want to grind twenty four seven. I want my business to serve me as much as I serve it and and the people. You know, so I'm always looking for that balance, and I'm always trying to protect that balance. Yeah, that makes sense, man. I think that's that's my goal with farming, and I think I'm. 
I think I'm making the right steps, but it's just like I, I'm still, man, it's still early. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I was pretty lazy on unemployment. And, and also, too, like I didn't want to make the tricky thing with unemployment is they find out you made any money. They want all that money back. And I didn't really want the government hounding me. Like I already, thanks to you, I figured out profit first, which is a whole other thing we can go into. But we only have like five minutes left. But uh, I've already had Mike McCallowitz on the, the show. But, um, you know, thanks to profit first, I became a lot more comfortable with how to pay my taxes and, and not get in trouble. But after like, I didn't file for like five years. And I'm like, man, I'm already figuring like, managing this aspect of my my negative relationship with the government i don't need ohio saying i owe them unemployment so i just rocked out unemployment and i then i was planning on what i was going to do and there were certain things i was doing but i wasn't making a lot of sales isn't that funny how that like suppressed you like (laughs) yeah of like absolutely trying to branch out and do shit with your life yeah, because it, it, you know, it be honestly because I was so scared that um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I was scared, but I was really concerned. Like I had a friend who, like, unemployment found out he was making money somewhere else, and they were like, "Yeah, we want all of our money back." Damn, not some yeah. of it, but all of it. So then he owed him, you know, like twenty thousand dollars or something like that, and he finally paid it back. So it's like I don't need, I don't need that in my life. Like I, I don't for for this. T- for this blessing that I had to work, I don't need that. So I'm going to, I'll be lazy in unemployment. And now I am playing catch up. But, you know, like I, I'm not concerned, man. Like life is still really good. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing. So um, you, you got limited time. You got to do a hard stop. So where can people follow your work? I'm a big fan of your podcast. So, um, and your articles, and I try to share them as much as possible. So how can people follow you and your work, Kevin? Yeah, so most of everything that I do is at RebootedBody.com. So we have a great podcast, Rebooted Body Podcast. I'm on YouTube. Uh, We have a great academy. Of course, you're a part of the academy if people want to check that out and actually do work with us. Uh, I get a brand new project that I'm launching called SixFigureGrind.com. And I'm going to be talking a lot there about building a lifestyle business that serves you just as much as you serve it. And I think that's huge for a lot of people in finding freedom. That's like when I work with people in the academy, one of the biggest hurdles is people who eat emotionally, especially it's due to a lot of stress in their life. And the number one stressor in people's lives that for at least the people that I tend to work with and from the studies that I've seen It's them slaving away in a job that they absolutely hate and they have no autonomy. They have no control. They have schedules and locations and all this stuff uh, that entraps them and really pisses off that inner rebel, by the way, that we were talking about earlier and just drives like so much stress and unhappiness and unfulfillment in their life. And if I can help rescue people from that, then uh, that's going to be a a pretty fulfilling thing to do because I know that... Uh, I've rescued myself and there was a lot of fear involved in doing that. And there's a lot of technicality in doing that. So that's what I'm going to be talking about over there at sixfiguregrind.com. I can't wait for that, man. I'm definitely going to be on board and following that and, and, and everything else like that. So, well, thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. I had a blast. I'm sure all my listeners did as well. Yeah. Thank you for having me.